people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. They did not understand that he was telling them about his father. So Jesus said, when you have lifted up the son of man, then you will know that I am he and that I do nothing on my own, but speak just what the father has taught me. The one who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone for I, for I always do what pleases him. Even as he spoke, many believed in him. To the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered him, We are Abraham's descendants and have never been slaves of anyone. How can you say that we shall be set free? Jesus replied, Very truly I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. The word of the Lord. Would you pray with me once more as we come to God's Word together? Let's pray. Father, you speak about your Word as being like the rain that falls down from heaven. And it comes down and it waters the earth and it causes it to grow and to bud and to flourish and overflow with life. It's a picture of how your very own word as it comes into our hearts does the same. It refreshes us. It brings us to life. It wakes us up. It causes us to be fruitful and flourish and to be the people that you have created us to be. So I pray that this morning now as we come to your word that you would send your spirit to use your word powerfully upon our hearts. And I pray that you would help us to open our hearts to your word, that we would be open and present with you as you speak to us from your powerful word. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Kids, I got a question for you. Are you ever afraid of the dark? Anybody ever afraid of the dark? No, nobody? That's not true. Yeah, all the adults are like, yep, right here. What do you think is so scary about the dark? What are some of the things that make darkness scary? Yes, Jonathan. You can't see. That's the most obvious, right? In my house, especially whenever it's, the lights are off upstairs, you don't go upstairs alone. Like they always got to have somebody to go with them. And a part of it is that you don't know what's there. You can't see and you imagine there, there could be something in here that I'm not able to see. That's a part of what's so scary about the dark. Now, what happens whenever you cut light, the lights on in a place of darkness? What happens to the darkness? You don't see anything whenever you cut the lights off? On? What happens whenever you cut the lights on? Can you see? Yeah. Good job. So, this is more fluid in your mind when you plan this out. Light, I mean, this is kind of an obvious reality here, right? When you cut lights on in a place that's dark, the darkness disappears. It chases the darkness away. Now, 
in our passage and really in the Bible as a whole, these two images of light and darkness are used so much to talk about the world, to talk about truth. Light so often is, is an image, a very vivid image for truth, and darkness is a vivid image for, for evil because one of the things that evil and sin and, and violence and these things, one of the things that they... That, that is very natural is for those things to hide. You want to hide whenever you're doing evil. It's just a natural inclination. And so darkness becomes a picture of, of hiding and concealing and, and uh, covering up. And light becomes an image of God and how his truth brings light to things. And that's a part of what Jesus is trying to describe about himself in the passage. Now, I've... I was watching a show a couple years ago on Netflix called Bloodline. Has anybody seen this show? Uh, I can't necessarily recommend it from the pulpit because it can be a little rough in places. But one of the powerful things about this show on Netflix is how it very vividly brings out this reality of hiding things in your life. It's the story of this, this prominent family in Key West, Florida. They own a resort very well-known family, and from the outside, this family in the community looks like they have it all together. They're, they're beautiful, they're wealthy, they're kind, they're involved in the community in so many different ways. But what you learn as you go through the movie is that this family has secrets. And they even have a culture of secrets that began, as you learn in the, in the movie, you, you learn that this this culture of hiding things and covering things up and not speaking about things began even in their childhood. And what you see and you discover as you go through the show is that, that there are dark secrets in the past that for years they have tried to cover up and yet they are starting to come out. And even as you go through the, the movie, the, the show, things seem to get darker and darker and darker. I mean, even the lighting in the movie, it's a brilliant way of really helping you to feel that reality. And what they begin to do is to continue to hide, to continue to keep these things secret. They do new things, new secrets in order to hide the old secrets. And what you learn is that those things that you hope will go away if you just ignore them or put them under the rug or don't speak about them, the hope is that they'll go away. But a part of what you learn and feel very vividly in the show is that it doesn't ever work that way. That your secrets always find you out. And the show does a brilliant job of helping you to really feel what it feels like to be under that weight of holding a secret. Do you know that reality? It's really the human reality of wanting to hide things, of knowing things that you've done or things that have been done to you or things about yourself that you hope other people will never know. And the ways in which we try to hide those things or minimize those things, the ways in which we pretend to be someone that we're not, see, we can identify with the family and bloodline a lot more than we might naturally think. This is the human experience of wanting to hide, of wanting to cover up, of wanting to pretend to be something that we're not. And it's a great slavery to hold something, to hold a secret and be unwilling to let it out. In fact, 
the truth can be scary, can it not? That's part of why we often avoid truth, even in relationships, even avoiding speaking truth or hearing truth from one another. But here's a part of what we see in our passage today. And by the way, this sermon is likely going to be uncomfortable, not just for you, but for me too, because of this reality of darkness and how it's so natural for us. But here's the hope that we see in the passage. The cross of Jesus frees us to walk in the truth. It sets us free to come fully into the light, to to no longer have to hide anything. That is the power of the cross. So that as we step into the light, we might shine His light into a world of darkness. We are called to be a people of light. We're called to be the light of the world. It's part of what we see in our passage together. So let's jump in together. As you remember, we're working through the book of John. And what we see right here in the beginning of our passage is the second of these seven I am statements in the book of John. That's part of how John structures his book. It hangs upon these seven statements where Jesus says, I am. Now, if you know anything about the Old Testament, you know that that's very significant because very early on in the Old Testament, as God reveals himself to his people, the name that he gives himself to them is I am, which is an incredible just statement of who he is, that he is existence. He always has been. He always will be. He defines reality. God says, you want to know my name? My name is I am, which in Hebrew is Yahweh. But remarkably, in the book of John, here you have Jesus who is repetitively saying to people to whom that that significance of the name I am would have been huge. He's saying, I am the bread of life. We saw that two weeks ago. Today we hear him say, I am the light of the world. And a part of Jesus, it's a huge statement. Another just picture of how All things find their fulfillment in him, how he is the center of everything, and yet he is identifying himself as God. I am God. I'm one with the Father, and he's continually describing this. And in this statement, he focuses on this aspect of light. I am the light of the world. And here's what he says right after that. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness but will have the light of life. Part of what happens whenever you come to Jesus, when you're united to him, is that you come out of darkness, and you come into light, and you begin to know that freedom of walking in the truth. Primarily what Jesus is emphasizing about himself is that he brings truth into a world of darkness. Now again, in the scriptures, truth represents Uh, Light represents truth and God and how he brings illumination to what is hidden. And on the other hand, evil is so often associated with sin, with with, uh, darkness is associated with evil and with sin. And the ways in which sin makes you want to hide. It makes you want to cover up. It makes you not want to be seen. And we see that over and over in the scriptures. And it's a prominent thing that he's saying here in the book of John. A critical passage for understanding Jesus' teaching on this is back in John 3. 
where he really describes, these are really companion verses here. In, in chapter 3, Jesus is meeting with Nicodemus. He's a religious guy. And he's intrigued by Jesus, but he doesn't want to be identified with Jesus because he's afraid that if the others found out, if the, if the other religious people, he was a very prominent minister in his day, if the others found out that he's associating with Jesus, well, he would be rejected. So he's going at night. He's hiding. He, he wants to see Jesus, but only if it's in the dark. And here's what Jesus says to him, very much putting his finger upon how Nicodemus is hiding, even in the moment. And this is what Jesus says in verse, chapter 3, verse 19. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world. John is saying that over and over and over about Jesus himself. Light has come into the world. But listen to this. But men loved darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what he has done has been done through God. See, Jesus here is putting his finger upon this fundamental reality about not only the world, but about us as well. That a a part of what's deep in our nature is that we hate the light. You know, we, we go from as children being afraid of the darkness where in reality, we're really afraid of the light because it exposes us. It, it, it shows what's really true about our hearts, those parts and those things about us that we are afraid to acknowledge. And this is just the reality of the world. The Apostle Paul calls the world the dominion of darkness. Speaking into this reality in which in the world, truth is concealed. We know this in our culture. You don't have to think very hard. As we look out at the world and we look at our culture, things that are right are called wrong. Uh, things that are, that are uh, upside down are called right side up. You know, the, our culture wants to interpret rat reality from the basis of a lie. We see that in so many ways in our world. We, we see it in the fact of even the lies of our culture. Think about the lie that, that, especially in our culture, we're always hearing that if we have things, if we consume things, if we purchase things, if we have more stuff, then we will be happy and fulfilled. That is a huge lie of our culture. And it's a part of that darkness. But that darkness, of course, is not just out in the world. It's in our own hearts as well. Do you know what it's like to spin the truth a little bit to make yourself look better? You know, maybe you're telling a story or maybe you're giving your side to a particular conflict or whatever, and you just leave out a few little small details. Maybe you emphasize your position a little bit more or you emphasize what you did right in a particular situation and you just spin it. I mean, and by and large, it's you know pretty much true, but what you've done is you've spun it just a little bit to fit yourself. You ever do that? We do that all the time, almost naturally. Or the ways in which we wear a mask among other people. The ways in which we pretend to be someone we're not because we're afraid of being known. We're afraid if someone really knew what was true about me or knew this about my life or this about my past, I would be rejected. So we construct a mask. 
we pretend to be someone that we're not. See, the reality is, is that darkness is not just out in the world. It's in our own hearts as well. And here's an ironic reality about this passage. One of the places that the darkness can be so thick and convenient is with religion. That's the irony of the passage. Who is Jesus talking to this whole time? We kind of skipped over a lot of the dialogue here, but Jesus is talking to the Pharisees and the teachers of the law and the most religious and devoted people of his day, and yet you're able to see their blindness. I mean, these are people, you know, we kind of think, well, we know those Pharisees are bad people, right? But if we were around them in that day, we would be incredibly impressed by their devotion. You probably wouldn't realize that they weren't as holy as they were pretending to be. They were so devout, they spent all of their time in prayer and in studying God's word and in teaching his word to other people. And yet we see this reality in which they're speaking to the light of the world and telling him he's a liar. Telling him he has a demon, they actually say that in here. It's incredibly ironic of how religion can be one of the best tools for hiding. It can be one of, and it's so easy to use religion to cover up what's true about our hearts. And what begins to happen is that everyone in a religious community can be all pretending at the same time to be better than they are. And as Dietrich Bonhoeffer says, when a real sinner is dis discovered among the pious, there's outrage. So easily does that happen because even religion can become a cover for darkness. So the question becomes for us, how do we get free? How are we set free from the reality of darkness in our own hearts? Jump down to verse 31 and hear what Jesus says here. Verse 31, to the Jews who had believed in him, Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Jesus says, because he's the light of the world, if you hold to me, if you're connected to me, then you will know the truth. The truth, not only about reality, not only about the world, but the truth about yourself. That can be hard. It can be hard to go there with Jesus, to allow him to bring his light into your life. And let me tell you, that's what you get when you come to Jesus. Because he takes that flashlight and he goes into all the places that you want to remain concealed. Jesus, so often, if you're walking with him, is like, what's in that room over there? Don't go in that room. I think we need to go in this room over here. Do you know that reality with Jesus? And here's what Jesus says. The truth will set you free. Everything in us says the opposite of that. You know that reality. We think, if this is known, if people knew this about me, if I were to bring this into the light, if they knew that this happened to me in my life, if they knew that I'm struggling with this in my life, if they knew that I'm really like this and not how I pretend to be, if I... If I take the charade down, if I take the pretending down, then I'll be rejected. These relationships will fall apart. 
I won't be loved. I won't be accepted. All of those things. We think that the truth actually brings slavery. And Jesus says just the opposite. He says, no. That's the lie of the world. That's the lie of darkness. The truth will set you free. What's interesting here is this, the Pharisees pick up on this word of freedom. And they hear that word and it strikes them as not applying to them. Do you notice their response to Jesus whenever he says, the truth will set you free? Verse 33, they answered him, we are Abraham's descendants. We've never been slaves of anyone. How can you say that we will be set free? Now there's incredible irony in that statement, is there not? You see the reality that their slavery is their blindness. They can't see themselves rightly. It's so obvious, because just think about that statement. We've never been slaves of anyone. Wait a minute, what about Egypt? What about Babylon? What about Assyria? What about the Roman Empire at the moment that they're speaking? The reality is, is that you've always been slaves. But you see, a part of the deception of darkness is that you can't see yourself rightly. The Pharisees could not see their self-righteousness. They couldn't see their pride. They were convinced that they loved God. They were convinced that they were the most truthful people in the world. And yet the reality was they were living in darkness. And Jesus calls that darkness a slavery, a bondage. Look at verse 34. Jesus replied to them, I tell you the truth. Everyone who sins is a slave to sin. It's a huge teaching about the reality of sin. It's very easy to think that sins are just isolated actions, isolated choices. That, you know, the problem in my life is I've got a few habits and I've got a few areas of my life where I do some bad things, but, but we think of sin as just simply an action. But what Scripture teaches is that, no, 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 no. Sin, yes, is actions and actual breaking of rules, but far more profoundly, sin is a power that reigns over you. See, the reality is, by nature, we're all in bondage to sin. We don't sin because, you know, we haven't quite overcome a few areas in our life, and, and we just got to try a little bit harder. We often think that. If I just get serious, I can get this sin uh, removed from my life, and we often think that that's Jesus' point. That's religion, Right? The point here is to get good and to get these few sins out of my life and then God will accept me. And Jesus is saying, no, no, don't you understand? You by nature are a slave to sin. It's in your nature to sin. When you sin and you run from God, you're doing part of what is most natural to you. Jesus is trying to get the Pharisees to understand sin goes far more deep than you even realize. And he wants us to understand the same thing as well. By nature, we're slaves to sin. And it's only when you begin to see that, that you begin to cry out for freedom. How do I get free? And that's where Jesus goes next. Next verse, verse 35. Now a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. That's the key verse. Verse 36. So if the son sets you free... You will be free indeed. It's a huge, it's kind of the Braveheart moment of freedom. Christ sets us 
free. The power of sin. How does he do that? It's from the power of the cross. That's how he does it. That is, that is what breaks the power of sin in our life. That's a part of the backdrop of the whole book of John. It's all moving towards the moment of the cross where in that moment he literally breaks the power of sin. In verse 28, he says to the Pharisees, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am the one. That's kind of a phrase that he's using over and over in the book of John that's referring to the cross. When I'm lifted up, it sounds like glorification, and it is, but not in the way that you would imagine. Jesus is saying the moment of my glorification, when I am lifted up, is when I'm lifted up on the cross. That is the moment in which truth breaks into the world. And it was on the cross that Jesus took the power and the sting and the guilt of our sin. Do you begin to see how that frees you to come into the light? You see, if Jesus has paid for the guilt and the shame of our sin, then what do you have to hide? What do you have to keep in darkness? If it cannot condemn you, why do you need to hide? That is the power of the cross. And as we come to Jesus, we are set free to come into the light. Now, freedom is a huge word in our culture, of course. We love to talk about freedom. But from the perspective of the world, our culture's concept of freedom is a little bit different than the concept of freedom in the Bible. In the world, as we especially in our own culture. The way that we think of freedom is being free to do whatever I want to do. Nobody else can infringe upon me. No one else can limit me. That's freedom. It's personal autonomy. That is not the Bible's vision of freedom. In fact, that is the Bible's vision of slavery. Because when I have no constraints on myself, there is one ruling constraint over me, and that is sin. That is me. Freedom, according to the Bible, is being set free to be what you were made to be. It's like the picture of, if you imagine a, an eagle in a cage, prevented from being what it was designed to do. And the picture of freedom and liberation is opening the door and allowing the eagle to go and to soar in the air. As you see that image, you would imagine, yes, that's what that animal was created to do. That's the reality of how Jesus sets us free. He frees us to be what we have been created to be. So the question for us, the honest question for each one of us is, do you want to be free? Do you want to walk in the light? Do you want to walk in truth? Be, be unafraid of being exposed and coming into the light. The most tangible way that we do this is something that the Bible calls confession. Confession of sin. Confession is that act of taking something that is in darkness and that thrives in darkness and bringing it into the light. And a part of what that does is it's experiencing the freedom of truth. Dietrich Bonhoeffer says that, that sin 
resists light and hides from light. But yet in confession, as we confess our sins to one another, we bring it into the light, we expose it, and the power of it is broken. And we might hear this and we might say, whoa, wait a minute, you just got really scary. You're talking about me just not confessing my sin to God, which I think we have a lot of trouble with in the first place. You're talking about me confessing my sins to one another? Are you crazy? Isn't that a little scary? Even though that's been what we've been called to? Listen to what Dietrich Bonhoeffer says about this. He asks this question. He says, why is it so often easier to confess our sins to God than to a brother or sister? You know that reality? How it can be so much easier for me to go and confess something to God, but to think about confessing and bringing something to light with a brother or sister is terrifying. He says, think about it. God is holy and sinless. He is a just judge of evil and the enemy of all disobedience. Why would that not be more scary than a brother or sister who is a sinner just like we are, who knows this dark night of secret sin as he describes it? Why should we not find it easier to go to a brother or sister than to a holy God? And here's what he says. We must ask ourselves whether we have not often been deceiving ourselves with our confession to God whether we have not rather been confessing our sins to ourselves and also granting ourselves absolution. That's a scary thought. Bonhoeffer says, if I will confess to God and I will not confess to a brother, have I really confessed to God? And here's what he says to follow up on that. Who can give us the certainty that in the confession and forgiveness of sins, we are not dealing with ourselves, but we are actually dealing with the living God. God gives us this certainty through our brother or sister. It's an amazing concept that the way that God actually brings the experience of freedom of sin to you is as you confess it to your brother or sister and here there you are forgiven in Christ. He's saying that's how God has designed it. That's why community is so critical, that we are literally experiencing the body and the voice of God through one another. A man who confesses his sin in the presence of a brother knows that he is no longer alone with himself. He experiences the presence of God in the reality of the other person. How do you get to that point? A place where we're actually a community where we can be that honest with each other. Where you, we can actually sit down with one another and not hide and not pretend and, and not be afraid of being found out. But rather be a community where we can go to one another and say, would you hear my confession? I need to tell you what I'm struggling with in my life. And to do that and to be the kind of community where the other person receives that and says, listen, I can identify. And I want you to know that in Christ, you are forgiven. What would that be like to be that kind of community? How do we get the power to even go there? Because it's so risky. The power is in the cross. See, if you're in union with Jesus, all of your condemnation for all of your sin fell upon him. 
on the cross, as he hung on the cross, darkness fell upon him for three straight hours. A picture of God's judgment coming down upon him. And so if you're in union with Christ, you can no longer be condemned for your sin. Do you believe that? That's a freedom that I think we seldom live into. That is the power of the cross. So there is no sin that cannot be forgiven through Christ. And if you're in union with him, that has not already been forgiven in Christ. So the more convinced you are of that, the more empowered you are to walk in the light. To confess our sins to one another and experience very tangibly the forgiveness of Christ through a brother or sister. So let me just close with this. As we have been talking about in this mission series, what is our mission together? Our mission together is to be a community of light. Jesus says that in the Sermon on the Mount. He says to his disciples, he says, you are the light of the world. Wait a minute. We're the light of the world? Jesus, I thought you were the light of the world. He says, you're like a city set on a hill. It cannot be hidden. It's shining light into the darkness of this world. That's our calling. That's our mission. To be like a city sat on a hill. To be the light of the world. Wait a minute. How do we do that? Because the light of the world himself is living within us as a community. And as we are walking in the light in fellowship with Jesus and one another, light shines from us and into a dark world. The Apostle Paul says, you are to shine like stars in the universe. That's our mission. And to do that, we've got to be committed to opening our lives to each other, to being honest, to be a community of confession and acceptance and grace and realness and truth, a community that's so committed to each other that we're actually willing to speak the truth to each other. That might even be more scary. To actually go to that person who has hurt you and wronged you and say, we need to talk about this rather than to other people. That's the kind of community that we are called to be, and it's at the heart of our mission to be a community of light. And as we do so, we take his light out into a world of darkness. Let me stop there and just give us just a few moments to respond and hear from each other. Yes. In the places that I um, see the greatest amount of brokenness, as I think about um, this, it has unleashed um, a freedom that is just so life-giving when I think about seeing um, just how much on a day-to-day basis, um, I still do this, but um, it's been, um, I've experienced freedom from it, but just how much I boast and brag and put others down and exalt myself, how I slander others to get better, how in our marriage I, for years, just made it all about me and how could you serve me Um, um, when I think about the ways the Lord has um, 
really revealed my deep sense of, or my deep reality of codependency and how I really look to, look to others instead of to him for everything. And when I think about just the ways that he's exposing um, the rage that is really present in my heart when um, just my sense of peace is violated. Um, but I think about the freedom that that brings. And when I think about how much um, I've experienced his love as I've been really honest with my sin to him, but also how much I've experienced his love as I've been really honest with my sin to you and to other sisters and other brothers, um, it's just, it's so life-giving. And the other thing is, when I think about how my capacity to love only grows every time because I'm not scared of other people's sin and I'm not scared of other people's darkness, I feel like what you're saying is that I can be the light of the world because other people's darkness and sin doesn't <coughs> scare me anymore as I consider my own is so pervasive and so deep and so dark and so evil, like just my own heart. And so as I see it, I'm sorry, like <laughs> we've had a wrestling match all day. I'd love for you to address this when you get home. Yeah. Thanks. <laughs> I'm going to bring some truth later yeah, up in the house. <laughs> we need it. We need it. Yes. Um, anyway, I just... I guess just as you just said, mm. the light brings freedom, um, and getting to confess to brothers and sisters in the Lord really, really honestly, and then in turn, it has helped me to, I just, I feel like over the last two or three years, I'm like, I'm not scared of people's sin anymore, and I know that just honestly, there was a time when self-righteousness was still so great in my heart that you could tell me something, and I could have been like, whoa, I feel like that's just not true anymore, and that's really I just, I feel like it's a fruit of love that the Lord has done as he's just allowed me to be really honest with mm. my own depth and my own heart. So anyway, I'm sorry, that was a lot. Maybe that a recap of your sermon. Sorry about that. Thank you for that honesty and your willingness to, to walk in the light and in front of all of us together here. And I think that's what he's calling us to. Are we going to play church? Because as we were talking about with the Pharisees, to play church is the easiest thing in the world. Or are we going to be a community of light? And that is costly. It is very costly. And I just want to urge you, go there. Take his words and really bring them into your life and say, I, in dependence upon you and the cross, will walk in the light with my brothers and sisters. Yeah, you got to cover more ground. Thanks. Um, I think so. Something I was thinking about when you were talking, Hutch. I feel like this is this sermon is. I mean, I'm sure that it strikes us all, but I think for me, I a lot of times because I maybe I'm not aware of my sin, but I'm like so aware of what I feel like are flaws in me. I it like makes me more. Um, it makes me want more and more to like hide myself. But I think. Something I was thinking about when you were talking is that I think one of my, like, greatest struggles or greatest sins is I just want to be, like, in the middle of my world. I want to be the most important thing, whether it's, like, my goodness is the most important thing or my badness is the most important thing. And I think something I'm realizing is that, like, the more 
the more Jesus is central to my world, the more pressure that takes off of me and my sin. Like, when I'm in the middle, my sin feels really scary and really hard because it's like, this is going to ruin everything. And this is the most important thing. And I think that there's just, like, I don't feel like I get it a lot of the time, but there's a lot of freedom when I realize, like, oh, I'm very small compared to him. And my sin, even though my sin is great, it is very small compared to him. And, like, my story is about him, not about my sin. And so I can, like, grieve my sin, but it's not, I think it's not overwhelming. But so often I, like, push back against and balk against him being the middle of my story. Yeah. Even though that makes my sin, like, I don't know if manageable is, I don't think sin is, like, manageable for us, but. It makes it less scary when I can say, like, okay, this is really bad, but also this is not, like, my goodness is not the the central part of the story, but also my badness is yeah. not the central yeah. part of the story. Yeah. Wow. I, I so identify with that. And it's just so true for all of us that when Jesus comes into your life, you're no longer the sinner. You get displaced. And... The, the thing that you don't imagine, that's scary to begin with, but the thing that you can't imagine beforehand is like, that's the greatest freedom for it not to be about you because it's about him. That, that's freedom. But we resist that freedom because we think it's got to be about me. It's got to be about my rights. It's got to be about how people are treating me. It's got to be about me, and that's slavery. But when Jesus comes in, you get displaced, and it's all... It's so freeing for it not to be about us. So hard to give up me at the center of my world. I was just struck by you mentioning that if, like, we're probably just confessing to ourselves. Yeah. I can just really relate to that. Yeah. Um, throughout this just past week, even knowing I wanted to confess in to my brothers, but just thought, I'll just go straight to God. Yeah. And then when I did it, I just didn't, the, yeah, there wasn't like a, it made sense that I think during those times I was confessing to myself. Yeah. And uh, so that's just a great bit of hard advice, hard yeah. exhortation to, yeah. to, to go to my brothers and confess and by doing that really confessing to the Lord too, so yeah. thank you. Yeah. It, it definitely begins to show us that community is far more central to our life with Jesus than we would ever naturally think. And I feel like that's something, especially in our culture, we're always going to be bumping up against of how we want to do our Christianity individually and privately. And if you're really meeting the real Jesus, he's going to wreck that plan because it doesn't work that way. You don't just do individual, me and Jesus. He says, no, 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 it's, it's going to be us and Jesus. And, and just the concept of the body of Christ. When, I, when we are together, we are the physical presence of Jesus to one another. That's a shocker. So let's, let me close this in prayer and we'll close our time with worship. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, I thank you 